You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we talk to Ita O'Brien about her role as an intimacy coordinator and how the role has evolved in the era of Me Too and her work on dramas including I May Destroy You, It's a Sin and Normal People. Hi everyone and welcome back to Broadcast Behind the Screens. I'm Alice Redmond, Head of Content for Broadcast Intelligence. And I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters on Broadcast. First up, we just wanted to start this episode saying thank you to everyone listening. Um, This week we hit 20k streams on the podcast, which is unbelievable. Very exciting. So nice. Thanks guys. Thanks so much. (laughs) Yeah, so just blown away by all the support and thank you if you would like to leave us five stars (laughs) (laughs) alongside your listen that would be even better (laughs) yeah I mean imagine if we could be even on the iTunes chart what a (laughs) what a feat for a small little b2b podcast and normally we would do some news here but the main topic of conversation which is actually the general news and also the tv news is quite simply who's going to be our next prime minister it's a uh, faint worthy uh, <laughs> question. And for those of us that are in television, that also comes with the complex question of what's going to happen to Channel 4, whether or not it's still going to be privatised. Uh, currently, it kind of looks like it's still going to go that way, but it's all a little bit up in the air. But whilst that's up in the air, we thought, let's not dwell on the depressing and let's get excited about what else is to come and tell you some of the shows that we're excited about that are being released soon. Yeah, so summer is a famously quiet time, but there's still a couple of things on the horizon. Yes. so take us through the uh, few gems coming out. So I was having a little look through what's coming up in August and on Amazon Prime, the next All or Nothing series is coming out, which I'm really excited about, which is the Arsenal All or Nothing. So last time they did Tottenham, which I really, really enjoyed. Like when I first moved to London, I used to work at Tottenham Football Stadium serving pints and I got really emotionally attached to Tottenham. I don't support Tottenham. I'm a Liverpool fan, but... I do quite like them. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing their main rivals being represented as well. Mm, I live in Finsbury Park, so I am quite excited for the Arsenal one. And I do have a soft spot for Gunnosaurus because I (laughs) think a mascot that's a dinosaur, like amazing, can't lose. Elsewhere, one that we are both really excited for and are currently um, battling to try and go to the premiere of is Game of Thrones House of the Dragon, which is going to come out on Sky later in August. Yeah, that is right up there with things I'm going to watch as soon as it comes out. I thought I was over Game of Thrones. I thought, you know, when it finished, I thought, yeah, okay, that's it for me. Now, seeing all the like trailers and like how it's coming up, I'm like, oh, I'm back in, aren't I? Something that I'm really excited about that's coming up is um, Disney Plus going to have the FX slash Hulu show The Bear. It's got Jeremy Allen White from the US version of Shameless and uh, he stars as a troubled chef who comes back to take over his brother's and family's restaurant when um, his brother dies. And it's just been completely all over the internet. People are saying chefs are the hottest thing ever and I do agree. (laughs) So 
I can't wait for that to come out on Disney Plus. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. <laughs> as well as what's coming up, Heather, what have you been watching this week? I've written in the notes <laughs> that I'm an idiot because the first thing that came to my mind was Love Island. Like I used to be like, oh, you know, I'm not really that into reality television. And now since I've moved in with my new housemate, we've just been watching it basically every night that we're both in. And the final's coming up like next week and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself afterwards. So yeah, I'm loving it. In other realms, I finally caught up with Starstruck, which I know came out months ago. Mm, I need to actually watch that from the start because I feel like it's very up my street and I just have yet to commit properly. It's very cosy. It's just very, like, nice. Rose Matafeo is so charming in it. It's just a really, really lovely story. I did also watch a panorama about Boris Johnson. <laughs> it was it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you had to throw that in. Like, I do sometimes watch documentaries. I love a doc. Just recently, I don't know, maybe it's the, maybe it's the heat. I just needed to let my mind loose in the evenings rather than try and watch something super complex at the moment so love island and starstruck (laughs) Mm, i agree with you there i actually was thinking about what i've been watching and i realized i still am not actually quite over stranger things like i'm in the crux of like a full obsession and i've actually gone back to the start to start it again every time an ongoing thread in the podcast that we've both been watching stranger things (laughs) honestly i think it is just For me, like one of those shows that comes along every once in a while that just like completely just blows everything else out of the water. So yeah, I've started Stranger Things from series one again, which is very cute. They're all so little and like... I liked it. (laughs) Yeah. I just, and you're like seeing things differently, knowing all of the developments of series four. Anyway, recommend if you're a big fan starting it from the start. But in terms of like other shows that aren't, the one I've spoken about nearly every episode of this podcast. I started Yellow Jackets because now we've got Paramount Plus in the UK. I've not got far into it enough into it to give like a comprehensive review, but it is definitely like worth the hype, worth what mm. everyone was saying about it when it came out in the States. I also have a Paramount Plus subscription, so I'm gonna have a little look. You don't even just have a Paramount Plus subscription, they sent you a dressing gown. <laughs> <laughs> I look, it's actually such a good dressing gown as well. <laughs> so this week we had a really wonderful conversation with intimacy coordinator Ita O'Brien. She's worked on the likes of I May Destroy You, It's a Sin, Normal People, and in her role she's advocating for talent on set and ensuring that actors feel safe during intimate scenes it's kind of a role that's really blossomed over the last couple of years yeah she was so amazing we both had a list of questions and she had to get to set and I think if we could have spent hours chatting to her we could have she was so such an interesting person and it's such an interesting role so let's take a listen lovely to have you on the podcast Eta, and thank you so much for joining us and I think We'll start with stripping it really back to basics. And for those who aren't in the know, would you mind telling us what an intimacy coordinator is and kind of what you do on your day to day? Lovely. So first of all, hi, Alice and Heather, and thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. It's great to be here. So an intimacy coordinator is a new role. And if you think of um, the role of, say, a stunt coordinator, um, what they will do for a fight 
So they will come in, they will talk to the director, they will teach the actor skills, and they will then um, choreograph with those skills to make the best stunt or fight that you can. The intimacy coordinator is just the same. You know, we come in, we speak to the director, find out their vision, connect in with the actors, agree touch, agree choreography, and then choreograph the intimate scene, serving the storytelling, serving the director's vision, and allowing the actors to bring all of themselves to this character and to this intimate moment, allowing them to be personally safe so they can artistically be free and open and give the best of themselves to the scene. So over the last kind of five years or so, the role of the intimacy coordinator has really escalated following things like the Me Too movement and other unfortunate, essentially, scandals that had happened, which exposed the way that talent could often be exploited. So the role of an intimacy coordinator is obviously to advocate properly on set and how how much has that role evolved over the last yeah five to ten years or so and how does that actually work in practice it's really interesting to say to hear you say five to ten years I sort of inadvertently sort of I um, started developing the work and first of all brought the guidelines together the first time I shared the work was with a group of agents called the um, personal managers association in June of 2017 and it wasn't until the Weinstein allegations and then the subsequent Me Too and Time's Up movement um, with the industry saying we have to do better. We can't turn a blind eye any longer to predatory behaviour and the subsequent Me Too and Time's Up movement that um, the industry started looking at bringing in codes of conduct, first of all. And then I was on productions where those codes of conduct were read out by the producers at the beginning of the production meeting with, you know, stating that everybody should be able to be in their workplace without fear of harassment and abuse. Everybody should work with respect for everybody else. And if anything should go wrong, here is the person that you can um, contact that has a pathway to redress. Now, that was, you know, new. That was revolutionary, you know, which seems completely mad. So, you know, the, the, the industry picking up then the book that I did, then developing the intimacy onset guidelines, like I said, I first sort of presented them in June of 2017 and then subsequently sort of like, you know, introducing them to the industry which um, sort of one of the first times I really shared them was at the time, the UK Times Up meeting in January. And from the back of that, you know, um, women in film and televisions instantly endorsed them and they sort of getting got started getting out in the press. And then the first productions I worked on as an intimacy coordinator were in April 2018. So it's that new, it's four years, four years. It's just, you know, since, since the role of the intimacy coordinator. Yeah, and a lot has changed, you know. So first of all, one of the main things is the idea of rehearsal. You know, one of my first productions on a set and I'm saying I need time to rehearse and going, oh, we can't ever have time to rehearse an intimate scene. You know, there's never time to rehearse that. While at the same time, on the call sheet on that production, actors finish, you know, acting and now they have a stunt rehearsal. So they, you know, the industry has their mindset knowing that, of course, you have to rehearse a stunt in order to make, you know, have all that preparation, have those techniques learned to keep everybody safe. So then what goes up in front of the camera, everybody can give their best. So that was a biggie, turning the um, industry's mind around to, to the idea of rehearsal and and then just, you know, a, a big part of it. So I say that there are three overarching tenets of the work, open conversation and transparency and then agreement and consent and then clear choreography. And so in a way that the most important one is that open conversation and transparency. And that starts right from the get-go, from the first read of a production, um, a producer, stroke director to identify the intimate content and then start looking at supporting that just the same way they would with a dance or a fight. 
and that is happening you know and, and when it works best is when we're brought in right at the beginning right from the get-go so that we're there in a production period we're there you know having those conversations so that we're ready to be there as head of department in the production meetings and then supporting across the arc of the whole of a production it's amazing how much you've kind of changed in just like short, such a short space of time because as thinking about how you said before about sex scenes kind of being treated as not even acting so to speak and I was thinking of kind of historically how the media has portrayed sex scenes I mean the things that come to mind for me are like the rumours that Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Felipe were actually having sex on the set of Cruel Intentions because they were together at the time and also those scenes in Love Actually where they've got the sex doubles and that's a whole a whole scene basically throughout the film you know like the way sex on camera has been portrayed for such a long time has been you know almost shrouded in mystery and kind of you know no one knows if they're actually doing it if they're not doing it and you've done so much in such a short space of time to kind of open up that conversation and how people are approaching it I mean why do you think it's been such a problematic thing on sets for such a long time? It is really interesting, isn't it? That sort of, you know, there's a dance, you get a choreographer in, you know, you know that you're going to do that. There's a fight or a stunt. Of course, you're going to get a stunt coordinator in. And my sense is that it's really clear that a director isn't expected to be able to know how to choreograph a tango. So, of course, they're going to get a brilliant um, choreographer in. For a fight or a stunt, of course, the director doesn't know, you know, all the techniques to, you know, crash mats and, you know, harnesses and all the rest of it. Of course, they're going to get in a professional. And the risk is really clear as well. You know, that you know if you ask someone to do one of Baz Luhrmann amazing tangos for Roxanne of course you know you're going to need somebody to teach someone otherwise they're going to you know get their feet in a twist and fall over and break their ankle possibly um of course if you're going to ask someone to jump over um you know from one roof to the other that'd be mad wouldn't it mm. to say just do that without proper preparation you know proper safety stuff in place because the and the injury is going to be you know could be a really bad physical injury with intimate content the injury could can be physical but actually more often than not it's emotional and psychological when your body is being touched in a way that might not be suitable for you when you're asked to be naked in a way that might be incredibly vulnerable making and incredibly exposing for you when you're asked to perform some simulated sexual content that is really outside the bounds of what you're happy with that injury sort of going home and going oh my goodness I'm feeling awful I'm waking up the following day that um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, can have a really serious long-lasting impact that can last way longer than um, you know a, a broken ankle might do but my, my sense is that, that we're embarrassed to talk about sex yeah would you agree yeah 100% yeah this is it and, yeah. and, it, and in that place of yeah of without a professional structure then it was just you know it was this void it was this elephant in the room it was the statement like you read the script and then you know what's coming along before I started creating this work I was talking to somebody in the wardrobe department and they were saying oh that they come along and then they're really nervous and they're saying, oh, I've got this scene today. And, and the wardrobe lady at that point in time um, was saying, you know, you know, they knew what was coming up. They signed up for the job. What's the problem? I don't want to have to be the one that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're complaining to. But what was happening was it, where it wasn't discussed, then it wasn't wasn't um, given time and space by the producers or, or the directors. And so you just got to it on the day. Mm. And the director, the, the, the actor would come in and they would have no idea actually what, what was going to be asked of them. And again, in that lack of preparation, lack of, you know, really um, considering, you know, the director then, you know, might talk to the actors and then say one of two things. Now you two go away and work it out for yourselves. Or great, you know, you know, what I want 
up you go, go for it. And in both of those scenarios, the, the actors aren't in a position to be able to journey through and create that intimate content in a professional way that serves the character. You know, so, so the actors then will be trying to do the best that they can, trying to sort of make out while they're not really sure of where they're trying to touch their partner will be OK for them. They're not sure where they might be touched. And 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 then in that place, you know, you get all the horror stories of, of actors saying, you know, sort of, you know what a nightmare it was and and then the other the other aspect is that while of course you need a practitioner to teach tango or to teach a fight the sense is that we're all human beings who have sex yes mm. yeah i was gonna and, say that it's so interesting about kind of our culture and the kind of knowing all the scandals that happen within the film and tv industry around sex it probably takes a lot for you know not to be completely stereotypical but for a male director to kind of say that he needs help choreographing a sex scene that that's right and and, and with before offering a proper professional process for intimate content and a practitioner to choreograph it it's that thing of yeah we all have sex we all know how to do it so we don't need a professional and and you know part of what we're opening out with the intimacy on set guidelines is bringing that awareness that it is a body dance with two people who don't know each other, who aren't in relationship with with each other, then having to create this body dance to make it look real, just as you would do with a fight or with a dance. And so you need a practitioner who has those skills to understand about anatomy, about bodies and about rhythm. Yes, Mm. and about, you know, giving that choreography, serving each beat and having that mindset on that supports the, um, the director that brings skills, you know, to bring physical body techniques that cheat it. You know, we don't want pubic bone hitting against pubic bone. You know, you 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 want to, you know, to have technique. So, you know, if someone's, you know, the camera's on this side, you're going to have sort of thigh pushed into thigh or thigh pushed into hip and a rhythm going there so that so that it looks like they're completely connected there. But if you came around on this side, you could see that they, you know, never the twain would meet. But again, that keeps the actor safe. It allows for a really clear choreographer. It allows for the for the it to really read right on camera. But again, it's giving really clear and professional techniques to the actor to allow them then in the flow of the filming to really release on all of that and really serve character and really have that connection character to character of the sens- sensuality and sexuality. Yeah. And it's had such a profound impact on the talent that you work with because Michaela Cole dedicated her BAFTA to you which must have been a really special moment oh it was um it was unbelievable I was actually working in a production in Prague and um I was um I'd actually lost my glasses and I had just been wandering around the streets of Prague around midnight and then I started getting these texts through and going what's going on so it was um no it's really so so generous of her and that's just who she is she's so you know um she's such a profound person in all ways she and also her presence was just utterly amazing you know she not only was it her own personal story she was a writer she was a co-director she was executive producer so so to work with her was incredible as it was unfolding talking to uh, the lovely first ad adam on that production and we were saying it was it was more like a, like a theater rehearsal in the in the way that 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 you know as as it was unfolding that she would, you know, like I'd say to her on a Friday, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm rewriting episode seven and eight. And so in that place of this ongoing unfolding creativity held by her, it was, yeah, it was an absolute joy. And uh, yes, and then her generosity and dedicating it to me was has been so important for the role and for people understanding how it can support a production. I May Destroy You deals really explicitly with the topic of consent. And you've worked on a really interesting range of shows. You've worked on I May Destroy You, but you've also looked at It's a Sin, normal people and this is a really big range of sex scenes and they're very varied not all of them are 
completely, you know, beautiful, loving, consensual sex scenes. So how do you navigate those? And that that's an additional strain on actors as well, right? I always, you know, when when I'm I'm sort of speaking first of all to a producer, I am always really clear in the idea of a risk assessment. So if there's challenging intimate content, I can go, my skill is, you know, here, you know, to this this degree, and I can recognise if I can see someone might be activated by a, a particular subject matter. But 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 my skills finish here, and that's where I co-work. I dovetail with an artist wellbeing practitioner, which is really really important. So so that so that that arc of support is is put in place in a production. As, as my lovely artist wellbeing practitioner says, because very often I will say that to to a producer, and they'll say, oh, we'll wait until you know they feel they need it, and then we might bring her in. You know, where you wouldn't say to someone if you're going to go send them out on a tightrope. Do you know what? We'll just send them out on the tightrope, and and when they if they fall off the rope, then th- then we'll put the, the safety net underneath. It's like it's a bit late then. So again, the best or the productions that really get it are the ones that really put that in place. So again, that's what happened in I Destroy You. Obviously, instantly recognizing that there's challenging intimate content, and that co-working with um the artist wellbeing practitioner. So I worked with a lady called Lou Platt, who I've actually worked with since 2015. Yeah, and that dovetailing of support is really robust. And then once you've done that, the next thing is, is, is again, it's really important to, or even more important, to anchor the choreography, to have a good rehearsal, talk about the scene, who these characters are, why that scene's there, and then really precise and detailed choreography so that so that the actors can have a really strong frame to act within and if like if there's moments of, of um, violence that you're using you know either co-working with a stunt coordinator or bringing in sort of techniques where sort of like someone's being held the person who's holding holds the frame the person who's being held is is um controls the energy so those sorts of things that keeps the actor personally safe so that artistically once they have their their, their, their confident they're really clear choreography that them in the camera roles they can really give themselves to, to the role of the perpetrator or the victim yeah and I mean just thinking about the kind of range of sex between all of those shows you know there's straight sex gay sex threesomes period sex like a lot of different kind of styles and types not even even thinking about consensual versus non-consensual and I was thinking about kind of your role and what you do and I think about how you know a lot of us get our first knowledge and a lot of our research of sex from porn and that's obviously we know how problematic porn is and things like that so when you are kind of approaching maybe I don't know how to phrase this very well but like a new style of sex that you may not have encountered before how do you research? I, I just research, you know, so I've just talked to a production yesterday about um something set in you know the 15th century so we were we were yes researching how did Pete how did women have control over pregnancy in the 15th century what techniques did they use how did they handle their periods you know sort of did they just use rags and um, we were talking about did they use sponges that they would um you know insert so I'm going to go and research all of that you know because a writer wants to start writing some of those aspects in that's that's really exciting to me if you think of the scenes for Gentleman Jack this was um my little bible the whole lesbian sex book um, along with obviously all of Anne Lister's diaries. So yes, it's really important if it's something that's outside the realm of what I know, I go and research it. I've, I've got the most brilliant book here as well, but I can't find it off the cuff um, for queer male sex loving 
and different positions and everything again was really important for it's a sin you know so that I was equipping myself with with understanding and knowing all possible shapes and etiquette and everything around around the queer male loving obviously very um you know as Russell T Davis spoke about that they chose their cast to be queer people and, and Peter Hoare the director was a queer man so that also really helps you know if someone comes from that community that then they can give that detail but for me that's really important you want to make sure that if you're depicting something you do it right and that you're really honouring the community that you're supposed to be you know sort of representing and then it's really lovely when you do that um, work to, to honour that community then the reflection that comes back like with um Gentleman Jack is just incredible having the queer female community saying thank you for the first time we're seeing intimate content that actually is really telling the right storytelling. Yeah, before we started recording, you were showing us a couple of other books. I can imagine under that desk you've got about like <laughs> 200 books that are all related to different ways that people have sex. There are, yes, I've got one. <laughs> Where we've got this, this, this one's quite fun. <laughs> a little book of Kama Sutra. And, Very and, nice. And- and that's really great. So, so again, with um with Gentleman Jack, I I, I found online that the Lesbian Calm Sutra, and um and then there's but there's two. There's sort of a, a very modern one, and then there's an amazing lady who 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 had set up the the Lesbian Calm Sutra, who had invited real couples to take photographs, and um she she contacted me. We actually met up, which was beautiful. But I said actually I wouldn't have used your photographs because you had these beautiful, they were stunning photographs, but with real people and real couples, and you could really feel the depth and the beauty of their relationship but actually as an actor that's what we're looking for we're looking for you know sort of like clarity of shape you know and and different you know offerings of shape and then that's what the actor brings to it the actor brings you know relationship and and you know and physical connection so so so, so this kind of thing's great just for just to opening out the mindset and, and giving it yes and this is I've just found this is the one this this is the one I used for it's a sin and you can see all the different places that I've <laughs> Just for clarity, it's called the Gamer Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see the different, yeah, the different oh, yeah, yeah. shapes that I've so sometimes people say so say 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 to me, can't can't you can't you do your um do your prep as well as travel? I'm going, mm, not so good <laughs> having having this Read that out on the train on the train on the way <laughs> to Manchester. Um <laughs> But very important, you know, and that's a very, you know, that's a, you know, like I say, I'm really excited to explore, um, you know, all the different paraphernalia of, of female menstrual cycles back in, in the 15th century. And, and that's very exciting as well. Michaela Cole was incredible in lifting the lid. I mean, for me, that's one of the first people who's written the scene about, you know, having sex during our period menstrual cycle. I was trying to research it when I was, you know, getting ready to do that scene. And there I found lots of scenes where it was spoken about, you know, having sex while on your period, but I couldn't find a single scene. And someone's out there who does know of one, please let me know. I couldn't find one that actually then depicted period, you know, your, your menstrual paraphernalia, let alone period blood in an intimate scene and when I read it, it I was um it was like wow Michaela this is just incredible and then it was an absolute you know honor to to then make sure that we journeyed through and um and depicted that scene you know really honoring her amazing writing and our colleague Ellie was at a talk you did at Latitude and she said asked us to mention some of your other unorthodox methods of kind of preparing actors for a role including watching animals having sex so could you tell us a bit more about that because it sounds really interesting so um yeah so so the important thing is just drawing from and offering all the different techniques that we have as actors 
in order to be physically transforming, to be physically detailed and precise, and to have a language with the two actors and the director that allows us all to be detailed and precise you know, in the intimate content. So there's things like Laban, which um, is, is a movement system created by Rudolf Laban. And um, so he calibrated our movement in um, lightweight, strongweight, indirect, direct, sustained and quick. And you take that into the efforts, which is floating and gliding and dabbing and flicking and ringing and pressing. So that kind of language can be great. Or you can use the language of elements, earth, air, fire and water. So again, another movement system that you will get an actor to explore in their training is how to move like earth or how to move like fire, how to move like water. And again, that can be really brilliant in, in discussing intimate contents. You know, sort of I was going to work on a, a, a play about Emily Bronte and we were looking at, you know, that the, the, the winds and the elements there was really important. So another one is animal animal rhythms. So another tool that an actor will do in their training is to go and explore an animal and research them and then sit and you get them to, to physically inhabit them. So for their intimate content, again, it gives absolutely fantastic you know um you know animal work is so brilliant because it shifts you a whole package you know the shape of your body how the sounds come out and then the rhythms so yes it's another really exciting tool that can really help to take the actor away from who they are personally really think who's this character what animal might this character be to go and explore that and to give the rhythm of that and the shape of that and the weight of that and and then it allows again that freedom of the actor to really serve the character really know it's this character that they're portraying and not portraying anything of who they are in their personal and private selves. Yeah, that seems like a really kind of important thread through your work of removing this kind of everyone has sex and people having sex as if they are still themselves and giving them that barrier of acting, I guess. Well, that's one of the things that you, you know, one of your questions about, um, you know, how has it been in the past? And when we had this thing in the past and it is really bizarre because everybody knows that an actor's acting in every other realm of the portrayal of their character. And yet somehow before the role of the intimacy guidelines and the intimacy practitioner was, well, it's the intimate scene. So you've got to re- you've got to really have chemistry, you know. You know, I had, you know, friends who are going to, where the director in the theatre production would say, oh, we're going to rehearse the intimate scenes tomorrow. You two better go out and have dinner together tonight. And it's like, you know, it's confusing getting on well with your fellow actor as a person, as opposed to what you're portraying with this character and this character in their sexual expression. And that thing of trust your actor, you know, it's this character's chemistry, not, not your personal chemistry. And actually, you know, on always, if you really, really fancy your you know the person you're working with that can get confusing so again it's even more important to like do your warm-up and really step into character and and really explore this character's um, relationship you know separate to then what you might be um, exploring personally or if you really can't stand your fellow actor again really important focus on character focus on this relationship so that gives you that anchor and I suppose that's why organizations like Time's Up UK have called for intimacy coordinators to be mandatory on set where there are sex scenes and currently that's not the case it's kind of an expectation that they're around but it's not currently mandatory uh, if you wanted to give voice to that so absolutely you know it, it is fantastic and we're literally being contacted by productions every day you know for for practitioners but very sadly they're saying oh we need someone tomorrow and it's like mm, you're not going to really get the best process and it's not going to be understood when it's that knee-jerk reaction so it's a bit of a chicken and egg obviously through the years of lockdown my training so it goes chicken and egg we need really well-trained practitioners to really service the industry in order for the industry for every single production to have a practitioner on their set for every intimate scene and that is absolutely the goal and that's absolutely what we want to get to so that it wouldn't 
you know there's an intimate scene you know you, you work with an intimacy practitioner but like I say what's really important and to service that is you make sure that you have practitioners who are really well trained and what's been happening during COVID in particular is that you know I was sharing the work on Zoom quite a bit particularly you know sort of like I was sharing the work with um, some practitioners in Holland and then the next bit you know I've shared a four-hour session with them of just sharing the intimacy guidelines for that practitioner to integrate into their own practice be it as an actor or a director or a producer um, and then I hear that that person has gone and and declared themselves to HBO that they've had a training by by me and of course they haven't at all and actually you know the whole role of the intimacy coordinator is quite complex as you hear we're serving the producers we're serving the directors we're being in contact with wardrobe we're um, co-supporting the first AD to hold a good close set we're understanding about camera angles talking to the sound operators about both those that that touch if mics are going to go into the body but the presence if you're going to be there for the closed set and yes yeah, so it's a complex role and my training has an arc of basically two years from learning the work and then gradually putting the work in practice I ask my practitioners to have to, to then once they've been um, trained to do a minimum of 50 days on set over a minimum of five productions and that's because you know just like learning to drive a car you know you do your theory you do your multiple choice questions great you know your theory but it's not until you sit in a car with your instructor and you start learning and the dog jumps out and you know and you, you know you haven't seen the red light and you slam your brakes on all that kind of stuff that's actually how you learn to control and drive this lethal weapon so that you're safe by the time you go and ha- take your test. It's exactly the same. So, so you know, I'm, I'm looking at, um, or I'm, I'm training up new practitioners. There's a couple of other places that are training practitioners. So it's chicken and egg. So yes, that's what the intention is. And now that COVID is gradually lifting, you know, putting, I'm putting in place an ongoing, really good, um, you know, system of training to, to, in order to really get really good practitioners in the industry and then we can meet that then with insisting or or um, starting to hopefully get legislation so that produ- productions have to have an intimacy coordinator. Mm, I think that sounds really great and it sounds really promising for kind of the future of the role on set. Kind of just to wrap up and we're going to switch up from intimacy coordinator we just want to finish up with a nice one. What are you watching at the moment? What are you enjoying? What TV do you love? Oh, goodness. What am I watching at the moment? What have we just finished watching? You can shout out your own shows as well. well yeah, well, it's been your... I, mean, I, I, I have been enjoying Vikings Valhalla because, um, yeah, and, and I was really, really proud. There's one intimate scene in episode six that, that um was in the midst of COVID and it was such a loving scene. I, it, I remember in the filming of it, it was just like, wow, this is beautiful. Yeah, and so, so that really, really holds up. Um, I really want to watch Leo Grande, the, um, you know, the film with um, Emma Thompson. I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, and of course Bridgerton um, is amazing and that's the incredible and fantastic work of Lizzie Talbot and again really empowering for the female gaze, isn't it? And um, and, and great fun and really beautifully created intimate content. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ita. Like it's been amazing to hear from you and hear all about the role of the intimacy coordinator. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alice and Heather for inviting me. It's been great chatting with you. I think the thing that really surprised me about chatting with Ita was when we asked you know, how has the role evolved over the last five to ten years she kind of paused and was like ten years like this is a five-year-old-ish role like there wasn't intimacy coordinators before and when you think about think about how things have changed since the role has kind of come around on the scene it really does ring true it's been needed it is like a stunt. It does need to be choreographed and actors need to be kind of safeguarded and kept mentally well. And I think I'm so glad that she kind of 
led the charge in developing this role and it's amazing. Yeah, you can absolutely see why Michaela Cole would dedicate her BAFTA to her, especially because of the nature of I May Destroy You. And it just opens up all these really interesting conversations about consent, not only on the screen, but also safeguarding actors. I think it's great that Time's Up made a call for them to be mandatory on set. Mm. And Ita just had such like a good passion for the role and what she was doing. And yeah, she also has a crazy book collection that you could not see yeah her book collection is wild (laughs) yeah and that wraps us up nicely so thank you again everyone for listening thank you for 20,000 streams yeah we're blown away so thanks again and as I said before if you are enjoying the podcast please don't forget to rate and review it really really helps yeah it really does help so thank you so much if you do do that and we'll be back next week so see you then Bye. Bye.